Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Thank you for joining me this morning. My name is Melvin Gaines. We're going to get started with some music while we allow people online to jump on with us. I'm assuming everyone got used to the time change, so everybody should be ready to go. Uh, this, mes- this music is uh, the Gospel Music Workshop of America National Mass Choir, one of the longest titles ever, uh, No Greater Love. So let's get started, amen. Good morning, Ronnie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Amen. Thanks for being here. Ready to roll for Sunday school today. Actually, we'll talk about that today in Sunday school, too. Everybody got some sleep last night. <laughs> some people love this time of year when they get the one extra hour. And like and counterpoint, some people hate when it goes back to daylight savings time. That's essentially a 23-hour day. It's a 25-hour day today, and it's a 23-hour day in the spring. All that over one hour. (laughs) Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Good morning, Brother Roscoe. Hey, uh, Larry and Ann, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here. This might be one of the few times we don't need the heat. No need for a heater. No. November warm spell. Brother Greg, good morning. Amen. Okay. Very good. Can I hear you? It is it really? Oh, no kidding. Okay. Morning, Angie. Okay. That is No Greater Love by the Gospel Music Workshop of America National Mass Choir Willie Brunt Lead Vocalist. That's a mouthful. But that's a beautiful song, and we appreciate that very much. And uh, we do have a couple of announcements, one of which, uh, today is Ronnie's birthday. And Dewan's birthday. Today is Ronnie and Dewan's birthday. Wow. Okay. Um, I think it's just worth noting that. I don't know if we're going to see Ronnie, but she's online right now. I think if we all sung together, she might actually hear us. Um, so why don't we just sing happy birthday to Ronnie and Dewan together? How about that? Let's do that right now. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ronnie and Dewan. Happy birthday to you. Well, that was epic. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you doing that. And uh, good morning, Jackie. And I think that covers that important announcement. Thank you for the reminder of that because my, my trusty, trusted assistant keeps track of all those things and I don't do very well with that. I appreciate that. But let's do some announcements also. <clears throat> um, Pastor Gus will have a message online following our timeline here on the Akron Alliance Fellowship Facebook page for his message on how the Holy Spirit must convict. And that is continuing his a uh, series of messages in the Holy Spirit, but that will be following us right here on the Akron Alliance Fellowship timeline. And it's also going to be in the Akron Alliance Fellowship group page uh, timeline. It'll be available there too. So we have it a couple of places where you can just tune in and look at his message. And of course, if you're coming to church, you'll see the same message. Uh, but we appreciate you doing that as well too. For, for those of you online, 
We want to make sure we have a complete church experience right here so that you indeed have Sunday school and a message waiting for you. Please remember your tithes and offerings. We appreciate you doing that because we uh, certainly appreciate you remembering that this is a, a, a place where we want to be able to provide and help anybody who's in need. We also want to pay our bills and the utilities. We want to make sure we take care of those things as well, too. If you are mailing your tithes or offerings to us, please do so to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. And we appreciate you remembering that and taking care of it in that manner. And good morning, Lisa. Thanks for joining us online here. And uh, we, we appreciate everyone being here. And we now are going to go ahead and proceed with this lesson in Sunday school. We are going to get into the book of John, and we're going to look at John chapter uh, 5, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 17. And the, the lesson today, for the sake of uh, covering some basic points here, first of all, it's going to be talking about uh, Jesus healing a lame man um, who's uh, going to be by the pool. And there's a lot into this that, if you read it too quickly, you might miss some things. But I want to make sure that we see some themes here. We're seeing a, a, a weakness that has taken place, or this weakness within the members of the, uh, <clears throat> the people who want to be healed. And a lot of individuals are going to be gathered in this one area, but this particular man is going to be the one who stands out before Jesus, and that's where we pick up the story. Uh, and we will pick up the story about him. But we're going to look at the subject of weakness, being made into strength. Weakness being made into strength. I think that's the theme that we're going to see here, uh, at least part of the theme we're going to see here. And we're going to look at the life of this man as much as we can understand it and as much as we know about it. And we're also going to look at the Pharisees who um, you hate to go to a place where they are just really operating out of evil, but you almost have to kind of camp out in that area when you see how the Pharisees responded to a healing of a person and how they just literally dismissed the healing aspect of it. So, uh, but we'll look at that in, in greater detail. And if I remember to cover all those things, that would be great. Uh, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we are just so thankful to be here to sit before you, Lord, and just thank you for all that you are doing for us to help us along day by day. We pray now, Lord, that the Holy Spirit enriches us with your presence and your teaching and the words that are spoken are truly yours, Lord, not mine. Um, I want only to speak what the, you would give me to speak. And I thank you for that. I thank you for those who are present here and those who are online. I pray that you bless them where they are right now, Lord. And, and I just thank you and give you all the praise for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to John chapter 5. We are now in a new chapter, John chapter 5. We're going to start with verses 1 through 17. And as a reminder for those who are present here with us uh, in the building, uh, we encourage you to, if you have questions about what's being discussed, to write them down, and we will cover those when we... Uh, go off the air here afterward. That's what we, our process is here. Uh, for the sake of continuity online, we just kind of keep talking and make sure that those things take place. 
And for those of you who are online as well, too, if you have questions that you want to pose, you can put them in the timeline as well, too. So these are all things that we want to make sure that it is an interactive Sunday school. It's not just me doing all the talking, um, but at the same time, we want to make sure we have the proper flow going. So that's what we do, why we do it the way we do it. Okay, let's go to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17, as we typically do. We read through the entire passage, and then we go back over what we've read. And, of course, this is in the New Living Translation, which is a very readable translation, but some of you may be using a different translation. Just follow along in your version. Let's get started. John chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Verse 7, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Verse 8, Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Verse 12, who said such a thing as that, they demanded. Uh, But verse 13, the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. Okay. Now, One thing I just did notice here, that was John uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. Uh, There is a verse here that was omitted from my passage because it looks like in some of the texts it appears, and it was verse 4. I don't know if you picked up on that or not because I leaped from verse 3 to verse 5. But I'm going to note verse 4. It's not necessarily something that we want to exclude, but every now and then when we have corrections that take place with Scripture, We see this happen because we've seen it happen before. But verse 4, I wanted to look at my other Bible, which happens to be uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible. It makes a reference to verse 4. And it says, um, Because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time to stir up the water. Um, Then the first one who got in the water after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. Now that was omitted from the passage I read here in the New Living Translation, but I'm going to mention it just for the sake of continuity. And it's really not part of the topic of what we're talking about today, but it's always important for us to recognize when we see something like that, 
people are going back and looking at texts, and sometimes the original copiers, you know, that we always go back and say that the original text of the Bible is authentic, right? But sometimes there will be people who will add a text for explanation purposes, and it may or may not be relevant or applicable. It may not be part of what John actually wrote, but they're providing an explanation for what is happening here. Because we need to understand something. A lot of people went to this pool. A lot of people went and came to this pool because of its abilities to heal, its healing power, for whatever reason. And we're going to leave it at that. Because I think that that's where we have to leave it. The pool of Bethesda had medicinal purposes, um, medicinal properties, excuse me. It was an intermittent spring. So, but that's all we really know based upon what we understand from the text. So I just want to make that very clear that we are uh, not purposely omitting four. We kind of read it from another version of the Bible just so you would know what it was all about. And, but it's not really germane to this particular story. Let's just say he was at a pool. We know that the pool had healing powers. We know that it had ability. And so let's move on from there. Amen? I mean, that's, what, that's the way we're going to treat this. Let's go back up to the top, to verse 1. And we also want to keep in mind here, when we ended last week at John chapter 4, there was some, an interval of several months that had gone by from this previous miracle that we wrote, read about at the end of John chapter 4 to now chapter 5. So months have gone by, and many of the incidents of the uh, life of Jesus in Galilee had taken place, but John didn't really bother to carry, cover those because they were also being described in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he didn't want to be redundant about it. John was focusing his time more on the great conflict that Jesus was going to run into in Jerusalem and parts thereof. And we're going to see that here in this particular passage, the great conflict. Because you have to understand something. Jesus, we talk about the, the 60s being a time in this country's time of being anti-establishment. Um, Jesus was anti-establishment. Jesus was going against the religious leaders and figures of that time. You're going to see that here when you look at what the Pharisees were doing and how they were basically trying to dominate when it comes to religion. They were dominating because of all the things that they imposed that went far beyond what God's Word said when it came to what was religious and what was appropriate. They were practicing religion, but they weren't practicing really the true worship of the Lord. So I think that's something we need to see here as we go. And that's why we want to point those things out. There was a lot of Jewish prejudice that had taken place back then. And John is just recording these different discourses. He's recording these different conflicts for us to see. Now, why is this important for us? We need to see this conflict. Do you know why we need to see it? Because we're going to be facing conflict. Conflict is something that we as believers are going to be facing from time to time because we're living in a world who is anti-God, anti-Christ, 
And that is the conflict that we're going to be dealing with. And there's nothing like being prepared. Amen? There's nothing like being prepared and ready to go when you hear about opposition and the things that are taking place. So John felt it was important. And of course, John's words, all these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's merely repeating what the Spirit is giving to him to write down. But he wants us to see this conflict. And even and what happens here is that the midst, even in the midst of a great healing that had taken place, and by the way, it had nothing to do with the water, so we'll talk about that too. The great healing that took place, Jesus was healing, and the Pharisees aren't even going to pay attention to that. Because how dare this person violate the Sabbath in their terms because he is picking up a mat and walking with it. But we'll look at that in greater detail. Let's go back. Verse 1. Afterward, Jesus had returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now, there were three festivals that everybody had to, all men, Jewish males, were required to do in coming to Jerusalem. Three different festivals. The Festival of Passover and Unleavened Bread. The Festival of Pentecost also called the Festival of Harvest or the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of Shelters was the third one. So a lot of people were coming to Jerusalem at that time for the Holy Days. And so here's this conflict now that's going to be set up where a lot of people were here at this Pool of Bethesda. Five covered porches. Now, I'm assuming that the five covered porches are there because it's hot out and people were, had to have shelter and there are a lot of people there who are waiting to touch these waters to be healed for whatever infirmities that they had. And that's what is implied here in verse 3. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now let's skip to verse 5 once again. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Now if you can imagine being sick for 3 years or 6 years, but this man was sick for 38 years. So that's obviously more than half his life. We don't know exactly how old he is, but we're going to make an assumption that he's been sick for more than half of his life, if not longer. 38 years. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Now, let's point something out here. This was the first encounter this man had with Jesus. Jesus had not encountered this man before. And yet, Jesus knew this man's heart. Jesus knew this man wanted to get well. Jesus knew that there was a mustard seed worth of faith in this man. Remember how we talked about the mustard seed worth of faith? How faith is important? Jesus recognizes this faith, this small glimmer of faith in this man, even though he had been sick for 38 years. He had been sick. It was a way of life. No one had ever helped him. He had no hope of ever being healed. No one was going to help him get to the, get to the pool to be able to move him around because he couldn't move himself very well. Um, and so... Because that's also mentioned in verse 7. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. 
So he's not at the pool. He's waiting by the pool. He's hoping that someone is going to respond to him and help him. But I'm going to just use a little poetic license here. When we look at somebody who's been sick for 38 years, they are truly a forgotten people. They're forgotten. They are not at all being looked upon as someone that is being paid attention to. You can, you know, when we, when we come down here, we, we drive by a very small homeless community that's in downtown Akron. And they're there because there's no one there that's helping them. There's no one there. They're, they're there on their own doing what they need to do, right, for survival. And I'm not saying that in any way to, to call attention to something other than the fact that that's a reality. Sometimes help doesn't come. It doesn't come the way we would like to see it come. So we want to keep that in mind as we go. But the one thing we want to take away from this here, that even though Jesus asked him the question, um, there was hope in the man to be healed. And I think the lesson here for all of us is that for those of us who maybe have chronic illness, maybe that's where we want to go with that, who have chronic illness, who are always sore, who are always struggling with their health. You know, it's like you're in and out of the doctor's office. Amen? You're always getting things looked at. God may have a special work for you in spite of your condition. And we need to keep that in mind, too. I mean, I don't know how my health is going to hold up over the years. I'm, I feel very blessed. I have aches and pains that I don't care about. We just kind of go, well, just go through the aches and pains, right? But let's say you have something going on in your life right now that really requires attention. And you need help. Well, God can still use you, too. God can still use you in spite of your condition. And... We need to understand that this man who has been sick for 38 years has hope that he's going to get better, but we need to understand that it's not just about sometimes us being healed, sometimes it's about us being used by God for the purpose of what? His glory. A lot of people were healed in Scripture for the purpose of showing that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that it was indeed for his glory. Of course, the benefactors were those who were being healed. But we need to understand that it's not just about, well, I'm healed, I'm going to get better, all is great now. No, it's not. That's not what it's about. You don't let your hardships, you don't let your difficulties take away hope. Stay hopeful. Stay prayerful. I can't imagine being sick for 38 years. I can't imagine what that does to your mindset, to your psyche. And prayerfully, no one will have to ever go through that in my midst that I've ever seen. But, but people have been sick for many years. People maybe we don't come across. We don't see. Johnny Erickson Tata has been sick for much of her adult life. And yet... She can find a way to praise God, even though she can't do anything outside of just being a wheelchair. So we need to recognize that God has a special impact. Maybe it's a special blessing, a special way of working with people who indeed are 
struggling with their health, struggling with what is going on. So let's go back to the passage and look at this a little bit more deeply. Um, one more note. And, and this is, um, F.B. Meyer makes this comment. Are you a withered soul? Healing and wholeness are in Christ for you. What a great comment to make. Receive from him the power that waits to flow through your wasted muscles. Be, believe that it is passing through you and act accordingly. Spring to your feet, roll up your bed, and carry that which has so long carried you. In other words, you're taking your focus completely off of what's keeping you down and focusing on what's picking you up. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what we all have to have sometimes. We need to not focus on the things that keep us down. Focus on the things that can pick us up. And who picks us up? Jesus does. Jesus is the one that can encourage us. It's not about living in denial. Because we still deal with what we have, right? And we don't always understand why we're not completely healed from those things either. But there's a bigger thing, a bigger picture coming. I want to look at that now as we get further into the study. Let's go back to verse 6 again, just to read again what the man said to Jesus. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Verse 7, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Verse 8, Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, this man wasn't standing. He certainly wasn't walking. Verse 9, Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this... Now, there's always a but, right? But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Now, I'm going to tell you something. First of all, I'm pretty sure those Pharisees knew that this man had not been walking for 38 years. He was around all the time. He was there. It's not like he just showed up, poof, from nowhere. This is something that he was doing. This was his life. But yet, there is such a blindness that's taking place here. So, we'll go further in the study here, but according to the Pharisees, carrying a mat on the Sabbath was deemed to be work. And therefore, it was unlawful. Now, it didn't break an Old Testament law. There's nothing in Scripture that says carrying a mat on the Sabbath is a violation of the Sabbath. But you have to understand that the Pharisees' interpretation of God's command to remember and observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that's from Exodus 28, they just went further and added Hundreds of rules based upon their interpretation. They were adding these rules in addition to Old Testament law. Now, 
you can see how living in that time was a highly restrictive time when it came to practicing your faith because of silly, stupid stuff like this. And I'm just going to say it's silly and stupid. It's, when you're talking about something like this, there's nothing that you can point to when you go back to Exodus 20, verse 8, and say, well, therefore, there's a violation here because you're carrying a mat you know, from one place to the other. But look at the short-sightedness here. The man was healed after being sick for 38 years. A man who hadn't walked for 38 years had been healed. And you know, it's, it's interesting, 38 years. We're, the Lord is giving us this indication of how long this man has been sick, very specifically for us to pick up on what's going on here. They were more, the Pharisees were more concerned about their petty rules than the life and health of a human being. I mean, how would you feel knowing that here are these Pharisees coming and talking about I'm in violation of the Sabbath. I just got healed after 38 years of not being able to walk. I'm lame. I'm moving around now on my own. No one has to pick me up. No one has to take... Never made it to the pool, everybody. Jesus healed him on the spot. Pool wasn't even involved. The Jewish leaders saw a mighty miracle of healing and a broken rule. They threw the miracle aside as they focused their attention on the broken rule because the rule was more important to them than the miracle. Can't explain the miracle. That's how miracles are, right? We know that Jesus was directly involved with it, but rather than getting caught up with their rules, Jesus went beyond that. And Jesus had nothing to do with the guy carrying the mat. That was up to him. He did say pick up his mat and walk. But that was to show a sign. That was to show a given indication on what the priorities of the Pharisees were. Pharisees didn't give a rip about people. They gave a rip about making sure that they were in authority, they were in charge, they were in control, and that's what they cared about. You have to understand something. People who are in authority can use their authority and they can abuse their authority. This is an abuse of authority. Hiding behind a religious pretense. And that's what's taking place here. Now, what does this mean to us? Because we say that this is so absurd... Why, can, why is this something that we really need to pay attention to? Well, it's because of human nature. Human nature. It's easy to get caught up in our man-made structures. It's easy to get caught up in our man-made rules that we forget the people involved. We forget people. We're in ministry for people, but sometimes the process of helping people gets caught up in a lot of man-made rules or guidelines or, or things of that sort. You have to consider that it's all about Jesus Christ when we do ministry. The most important thing that we can do is share the gospel. The most important thing we can do is speak the gospel. 
In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 8, I believe that Jesus is referring, uh, Jeremiah is referring to how every time he speaks, people scorn him and say that, man, why are you talking about God like you are? Or they ridicule him. Or even his friends were waiting to trap him later on because of stuff he was going to say. But in Jeremiah 20, verse 8, Jeremiah says, you know what, even though they say these things, I cannot hold back inside of me. There's a fire inside of me that must proclaim the gospel. That must proclaim the truth. I can't hold back from it. No matter what people say about me, I'm going to keep speaking about what God gives me to speak about. And that should be our mission. Not about just following rules and regulations that are man-made. Just because someone gives you something and tells you something like that, you have to have the courage to speak up about Jesus Christ. You have to have a fire inside of you. And so that's really the behavior that we need to have. And Jesus is showing in this miracle that he has control over our lives. Thanks for posting that, Jeremiah 20, verses 8 and 9. But we need to see that and understand that. We have to have a fire inside of us that compels us to speak about God's truth, no matter what anybody else is doing. And of course, this causes conflict because Jesus is now going up against who? The authority, the Pharisees. And we'll see that later on. Back to verse 10. We're going to continue on there. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Now look at verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Now let's look at that real quick. This man had this little bit of faith asking for hope that he would be healed. He was hoping that he could be carried over to the stream of water, the water, the pool of water, and eventually be healed. And Jesus recognized that. But do you think that Jesus knew about the life of this man already? Oh, you better believe he did. He knew all about this man. But you have to understand something. When we entertain people who come into our midst, it doesn't have to be in church, it might be people around us, they may be living lives that just are not honoring the Lord. But this one glimmer of hope, this one amount of faith, this small amount is enough for God to say it's worth the time to touch this man's life or this woman's life. And that's the attitude we need to have too. We are very quick to dismiss people who don't follow the Lord. That's human nature. That's human nature. We should be fellowshipping with people, honestly, that's going to are booing us up, helping us, 
keeping us uplifted as people, right? Because we need to be surrounded with people who are following Jesus. And it's a turnoff sometimes for us to be around people who don't know the Lord because of human nature. Well, God calls us to go beyond our human reasoning and understanding. He wants us to see, even in the midst of people who are desperately sinful, if they have faith or hope, we should pay attention. We should be ready to talk. We should be ready to speak to them. This is exactly the lesson that I believe that God is trying to give us here with this man. This man was a sinner. Stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Now, we don't really quite know the infirmity of this man. 38 years of being maybe paralyzed, maybe lame, and suddenly he could walk. But he also needed an even greater miracle. You know what that was? His sins being forgiven. His sins being forgiven. The Pharisees couldn't do that. Pharisees don't forgive sin. They control people, but they don't have the power to forgive sin. Who's the only one who has the power to forgive sin? Jesus does. We have to recognize when we are in sin, what do we have to do? We have to turn from it. We have to repent from sin. We recognize that repentance is the issue. And what this man needed to do, it's not inferred here, but he had to recognize his sin. Jesus called it to his attention. Jesus knew all about who this man was. Remember, they had never met before. This was their first encounter. But he knew about this man's sin in his life. Now, we don't know what that sin is. It doesn't really matter. But... The man was delighted to be physically healed, but he had to turn from his sins now and seek God's forgiveness to be spiritually healed. This man could walk now. He is a walking testimony of God's healing. After 38 years of being either paralyzed or lame, couldn't move, and now could move. But in order for him to be a testimony... Jesus had to forgive his sin. Jesus had to tell him to stop sinning. Guess what Jesus does to us? He tells us to stop sinning. Because sin is part of our nature. He has to remind us that we very easily fall into sin. We very easily get caught up in a sinful nature. And there are people out there today, you know, there's a scripture that talks about how people are just being, their minds are depraved and they're just being given over to Satan because they have gone so far off the deep end with their sin. And those are the people that we need to pray for. But we need to understand that God has to forgive us. We have to be spiritually healed too. Amen? We need His spiritual healing. I know I need it. (laughs) 
I'll just present company here. No other names need to be mentioned here. But we know when we need to turn from sin and repent. We know when we need to turn from those things that take us out of fellowship with the Lord. Jesus is calling it to the intention of this man and saying, something even worse may happen to you if you don't. So he's throwing down the gauntlet for this man. Either you get it together now, or guess what? You might be worse off than you were before. And we need to always be mindful that sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. It's nothing good. It's something to be taken very seriously. God's forgiveness is the greatest gift you will ever receive. The fact when you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, that's the greatest gift, a life-changing gift, the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Better than anything that you ever possess, anything that you ever own, you might think, oh, I got a car for Christmas. Well, great, that's wonderful. You got a car for Christmas from somebody. <laughs> as long as it doesn't break down, that's right. But the greatest gift that you could ever receive has nothing to do with money has to have an eternal value. It's an eternal value. We must look at life in this manner, serving the Lord. Now, let's continue. Still more to unpack here, everybody. Verse 15, Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. Now imagine that. The Jewish leaders coming up to Jesus and bothering him, harassing him, talking about him, because he had the nerve to heal some man and tell him to carry a mat around. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. Now that's a very important statement to look at here. First of all, Jesus is doing the Sabbath work that pleases the Father. It happened on the Sabbath, but he's doing exactly what pleases his Father. You have to understand, Jesus was sent by the Father to be a representative of him on earth. And of course, we all know that Jesus is indeed God himself, but he is being obedient to the Father and doing the work of the Father. He's doing the Sabbath work that really matters. The Pharisees were ticked off because the man had the right to carry this mat because Jesus gave him the authority to do so and they didn't like it. But the religious leaders of the time could not tolerate the setting up of an authority superior to their own. That was the issue. Jesus was the authority that was much greater than them because he was showing authority. He had the power to heal. The Pharisees didn't have that power. He had the power to do the work of the Father. They weren't doing the work of the Father. They had a different Father they were doing work for. You know, Satan wants you to get all bogged down in details and things that take you away from the focus of following the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when Gus is, Pastor Gus is speaking about the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit has to indeed convict us to do His work, we have to recognize that. We're doing the work of the Father. We're not doing the work that we would necessarily do. We're doing things that are contrary to our nature. What does our nature want to do? Live the way you want to live. Focus on doing what you want to do. The Spirit has to be the one to give you direction and guidance to live differently. The leaders of the time could not tolerate what Jesus was doing. So they tried to accuse him of Sabbath breaking as a way of trying to diminish his authority. Well, he's not following the Sabbath. So they're just going to harass him. They're just going to keep telling him about that. But what I just get done saying what Jeremiah said, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep speaking about the Lord. doesn't matter what people are saying about me. I'm here to do the will of my Father. My Father is always working and so am I. Jesus is always working. Do you know that? Jesus, he's not here present in our physical presence, but he is present. He's always doing the work. And we have the Spirit who dwells within us that embodies this work. But the Pharisees were not prepared for what Jesus had to say about doing the work of the Father. Pharisees are never talking about doing the work of the Father. You notice that? They're not talking about that. They're not speaking of that. They're not saying anything about that. They're only concerned about their rules. Hundreds of rules written. I think that's why Jesus got the most emotionally, well, angry, frankly, when we read in Scripture accounts, it was about the Pharisees and what they were doing to keep people away from the truth about following God. Jesus spoke of God as his own Father. My Father is always working. He was making himself equal to God by doing so. Did you pick up on that? Turn your Bibles, electronic devices, you know, hold where you are, but go to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to take a look at verses 5 through 11. I want you to see this passage and look at how important this is for us to look at. Because even in the midst of God working through Jesus Christ, Christ is humbling himself. He's humbling himself before the Father. There's no conflict between him and the Father. He is working in unison with the Father. My Father is always working and so am I. Look what it says in verse 5. And look at how we're to live. Because this is a direct word for us to understand here. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross." 
For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and every and under the earth and every tongue should confess confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't act on his own. He acted on behalf of the Father. He humbled himself in obedience to the Father. Guess what we need to do? Humble ourselves in obedience to the Father. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. That's the lesson to take here. You're going to be in conflict with Satan and the world by humbling yourself before the Lord. You're going to be in conflict. He's telling you this. Jeremiah was telling you this. You're going to have conflict. But guess what? Stand firm. Stand firm. There's no better place to be. The Sabbath is Jesus Christ. You follow Him. You trust in Him. You can't play around with it. You can't say, I follow Jesus, and then you don't live in obedience to His Word. Remember, you can only love Jesus, love the Lord, by being obedient to His Word. There's no other way to love Jesus than to be obedient to His Word. There is no other way to love the Father, love Jesus, than obedience. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Not man-made rules, but God's holy Word. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful of your teaching. We are thankful for the lessons of how we indeed need to be mindful of where we are in our relationship with you. Lord, we don't want to live in such a manner where we're doing what the world wants us to do. We want to live in obedience to you. We want to live in accord with you. We want to be able to walk and say that, Lord, you're walking with us because we trust in you. And Lord, we know that there will be opposition that we'll face. We know that there will be conflict that we'll face. But Lord, you have shown us time and again through your word that you are much greater than any conflict that we have. Lord, help us to continue to trust in you and stand firm in your word. May we be like Jeremiah, where there's a fire inside of us, where we just can't hold back. We just must proclaim your truth. We must proclaim your word. Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for showing us that this conflict that we get into is real, but yet you are much greater than any conflict we face. We thank you for the teaching, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today for this edition of Livestream Sunday School. We're going to break off here, and we'll see you next week. Please stay tuned online for Pastor Gus's message in the timeline. That's going to be following right here. And we just ask, uh, ask everyone to stay prayerful. Amen. God bless you all. Take care of yourselves. And we will see you next time.